Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Robert, and I'm the campus pastor at our Frisco East Campus. I just want to say a big welcome to everybody who's joining us today, whether you're at our McKinney campus, our Frisco West campus, our Prosper campus, our online campus, or if you're the best people in the world, my favorite people right here at our Frisco East Campus. I know I'm biased, but I love you guys the most. Y'all are incredible. Y'all are awesome. But I know all of you are wondering, like, where is Pastor John at? Uh, well, he's on a little bit of a vacation, and so he's either riding his motorcycle or holding a grandbaby. Hopefully not both at the same time. <clears throat> but he, uh, he does send his love. He wants you to know that he misses you and that he'll be back very, very soon. But before that, I get the joy and privilege of finishing off our summer series on wisdom. We've taken eight weeks uh, this summer to talk about the wisdom books in our Bible. The first four weeks, we were actually in the book of Proverbs, covering different topics through that. The two weeks after that, we jumped into the book of Ecclesiastes. Last week, Aaron Frizzell, our campus pastor at our Frisco West campus, uh, he introduced us to the book of Job, the character of Job, and taught us about the wisdom of perspective. Let me just say, if you missed any of these messages, do yourself a favor, go to our YouTube channel and check them out. But this week, I get to finish off uh, the book of Job and our entire series on wisdom uh, by talking about the wisdom in suffering, the wisdom in suffering. Now, we've got a lot to cover uh, in the book of Job. It's a very long book. It's 42 chapters long. Uh, Last week, Aaron took two chapters, and he wanted to make sure I had plenty to speak on this week, so I've got to cover 40 chapters. But it is an incredible book filled with wisdom, and I want to make sure that we all see the exact same thing through the story of Job. And so I think it starts with us uh, starting in the exact same spot. And I know some of you are very familiar with the story of Job. You've gone to church your whole life, but some of you may have never really heard the story or never understood it. So I just kind of give you a background. Job is about a man who lived thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. The Bible starts by telling us that he is a very blessed man. He's got a lot of finances. He has a large farm, a lot of animals. That was very important in that day. He also has a very large family with 10 sons and daughters. But most of all, the Bible points out to us that Job followed God with his whole heart and was always faithful to God. Then the book zooms out, gives us this incredible picture of a discussion going on in heaven. And it's a discussion literally between Satan and God. And Satan uh, is kind of uh, challenging God here and saying, hey, I've noticed this guy, his name is Job, and you seem to uh, bless him and you seem to protect him. And I think the only reason he's faithful to you is because you do that. And so Satan looks at him and says, let me mess with him and I promise you that he's going to turn his back on you. And God actually gives Satan permission to mess with Job's stuff, his possessions, his things. And so Satan leaves that, goes back down to earth, um, and the first thing he does is he sends a raiding party to go raid his farmlands. And that party goes, takes all his animals, some of them die, some of them they escape with, but one of the things that happens in the process of that is anybody that worked for Job, his farmhands, his servants, all of that, they were killed as well. 
From there, Satan goes to attack the rest of his possessions and property by destroying the homes that he owned. And so he sends this big storm to knock down all of Job's houses. And during that event, Job actually loses his 10 kids to that storm. Now it zooms back up into heaven. We get this picture of Job who has not turned his back on God yet. He is still praising God. And so Satan goes to God and says, okay, I get it. He's still praising you, but it's because you won't let me actually touch him. So God looks at Satan and gives him permission. He's very specific this time. And he says, all right, you can't kill him. There seems to be a lot of death in what you're doing here, Satan. You can't kill him, but you can do anything you want to him physically. So the Bible says that Satan uh, goes back down and stricken Job with the disease. Uh, and it's this disease that's described as boils from head to toes, a very painful, painful disease, and a disease that in his time would have been incurable and likely fatal to him. To say that Job was having a rough week is an incredible understatement. Like in the span of a few days, this man has lost his fortune, he's lost his way of life, He's lost his ability to make money even in the future. He's lost uh, anybody that has ever worked for him. He's gone through the tragedy of losing his 10 sons and daughters. And on top of that, he's diagnosed with an incurable, fatal disease. Now, we in the Christian church haven't always done a great job of talking about the wisdom that this book is going to present now in the story of Job. Sometimes we've summarized it as, uh, you know, you look at Job and you try to start comparing your suffering with his, and it's like, well, I don't have it as bad as he does, so just be happy and smile. But that's not actually what Job and the story of Job is trying to do here. You see, actually, Job is going through all of this thing, all of these things, and I think they're included in his story so that you and I will look at Job and in some way be able to relate to him. Maybe we haven't gone through all of the things that Job has, but I'm willing to bet if you are in this room, if you're joining us online, if you're at one of our campus and you're living and breathing and older than eight years old, you have gone through some sort of pain, suffering, tragedy in your life. You've lost a job, you've lost a way of life, you've lost a family member, you've lost a spouse, you've Uh, you've struggled with health issues through the years. But but there's something in your life in the past that you've had to suffer through. The incredible thing, too, about this story is there's so much wisdom inside of it that's really trying to get us to see some very specific things through the story of Job that that I think we all need to learn because when we learn those, it's going to help us in the future. Because also, let's be honest here, we're probably going to suffer again in the future. There's probably going to be things that arise that we don't like, that causes pain, that causes issues in our lives. And so today I want to walk us through the wisdom we actually see in Job. And we're going to go through three things very, very quickly that we see. The first thing that we see, the first thing we learn from Job is that we need to choose the voices that you listen to. This is actually a huge part of Job's story. I told you earlier that the book of Job is 42 chapters. 36 to 38 of those are Job's discussion with five people in his life. 
It's literally this dialogue back and forth between him and people in his life. And it's incredible to see what it actually does. Now, if, if you're like me, like whenever I have gone through something in my life, like I want to talk to somebody about it. I want to find somebody that can encourage me, that can help push me, that can help give me wisdom, that can, that can uh, kind of point the way to health and holiness, uh, wholeness and healing, somebody that's maybe going to help me uh, lean into God and to who he is in that situation and not, not pull me away from them. Like, I, I get it. We want to lean into that. And, and so Job does that very thing. But the first person he turns to is his wife in this situation. And this is, this is what she says. Job chapter number 2, verse 9. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Okay, I'm just going to say this. Like, I know this is like a Captain Obvious moment, but this is bad advice. Now, pastors in the past and we in the church in the past have, have sometimes vilified Job's wife in this kind of situation. Like we've looked at her and gone like, I can't believe she said that. She is so evil. She's such a bad person. But I just want you to take a second and remember something. She's suffering too in this. Like everything that's just happened to Job happened to her as well. She lost her way of life. She lost her finances. She lost her children. She's hurting. She's broken. She's suffering right alongside of him. Like it's this subtle reminder in the book of Job that, that even when we're going through stuff, to, to be careful because we don't know what the people around us are also going through. But that also means that even if somebody's suffering alongside of us, they might not have the best perspective either. But they might not also be in a spot where they can help push us in the direction that we need to go. It doesn't mean we don't need to listen to them and be there for them but they might not be in the healthiest spot themselves either. Fortunately, we see Job has other people around him that hopefully are going to help him in this. We actually see him and his three friends try to come to Job's rescue and to, and to, to help speak life into Job. But this is what happened. It says, when, the, when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite. And when they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great words. Now on the surface, these guys sound pretty incredible, right? Show up at the worst part of Job's life. They see what he's going through in a, in a moment of solitude. They sit with him in silence for seven days. At first, they did everything so right. And everything inside of me wishes that they had stopped here with sitting with him in silence. But unfortunately, the next thing they did was open their mouths. We kind of get this picture of Job's three friends, and it starts out with Eliphaz. And, and Eliphaz has this incredible speech that starts like this. It says, doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? Like he starts by trying to uh, talk about the goodness of God. 
And he's got this very long speech to Job about how good God is. And on the surface, it seems so good and so right and so holy. The next character that we're introduced, the next friend that he has is Bildad. And Bildad says this. He says, does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? He's literally here appealing uh, to the justice of God, the justness of God, and trying to paint this picture for Job that, hey, if you do right, you are going to get right. And, and it's, again, this very holy picture of the, of the words that he's trying to use. And then the third person, Zophar, this is what he says. He says, can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? And again, he jumps into this long speech about the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. And on the surface, the things these guys start saying seem right. I mean, they're appealing to the character of God and who he is, and it looks like at first they're trying to encourage Job. But without fail, all three of these friends take these ideas that they're presenting and kind of begin to beat Job over the head with them. Like the first guy and talking about God's goodness, he literally like tells Job like, well, if God is so good, like clearly you've done something to anger him. This is your fault that you're going through all this. When he talked about God's justice, he, Bildad kind of paints this picture. Well, if God is a God of justice and and he balances things out, then if, he's, if you're good and you get good things and you're bad, you get bad things. So clearly, Job, you've sinned in this. This has to be your fault. The third guy goes so far as to say, if God is a God filled with wisdom and knowledge and he knows all things, then clearly he knows something that you or your children did to cause this, which is like the absolute just worst thing a person can say to a man who's grieving the loss of his children. Man, Job gets so fed up with these guys that this is his response in Job chapter number 12. He's like, you people really know everything, don't you? Like how many of us have actually said that to somebody or have wanted to say that to somebody? You think you're a know-it-all, don't you? And when you die, wisdom is gonna die with you. You think you're so smart. But this is Job at the height of his anger, the height of his frustration, the height of his sarcasm, literally looking at these guys and saying, man, you're not being helpful. I'm innocent. I didn't cause this. I don't know what's going on. And everything inside of me wishes that Job at this point would have just told these guys to get lost. Because these guys actually started having a profound effect on Job. Actually, when these guys start talking to Job, you see Job at first responding to them and to what they say, and the next thing he does is he goes to God. The unfortunate thing is like, the longer these guys talk, it changes Job. It changes who he is. It changes the questions he has about what's going on, and it changes his entire viewpoint of God. Like he starts out by first going to God and, and simply complaining. And I just wanna say, I don't think there's anything wrong with complaining to God. Like a little raw honesty, I think is absolutely fine. And I even think that's what God wants from us. God, this is terrible. This is awful. I hate going through this. There's nothing wrong with that. But the second time that Job went before God, it, it wasn't just complaints. It was literally him wishing for his death. He wished he had never been born. And then he even, 
even says that God was wrong in making and creating him. And you see this slow evolution of pulling Job away from God. The third time he goes before God, he actually starts blaming God for his suffering and saying it's all God's fault and he must be an unjust God in all of this. And then he starts begging God for an audience to come to explain why Why are you doing this to me, God? Come, explain to me why. Eventually, we get this picture of Job, and he's he's this bitter man who's frustrated about everything, and he's filled with this self-righteous anger towards God. In part of his story, he's literally just listing out all of the good, righteous things that he did. It's this... This picture of Job who started off so great, but because of the voices he was listening to, and they pulled him away from the truth of God. And I just want us to remember that in the midst of suffering, we need to make sure that we are listening to the right voices, and not just the ones that sound the holiest. Like the whole point of this discussion that Job has with these people, with his so-called friends, is they start out sounding good and holy and right, but they end up twisting the truth about the character of God. In fact, there's a fifth person that appears in the story of Job that he has a small discussion with. It's this random guy named Elihu. We know that Elihu is not one of Job's friends, Like it never refers to him that way. It almost refers to him like he was a passerby, a guy that was just kind of watching everything unfold and finally he got to the point where he couldn't handle it anymore so he kind of spoke into the situation. The Bible makes sure that we know that Elihu was angry. He was angry at Job's friends and what they were saying and how they were treating him but he was also angry at Job and how he was responding and what he was doing. The Bible even tells us that Elihu even thought that Job was probably guilty Like many of the same things that Job's friends thought, but what he said was so different. First of all, he yelled at Job's friends because they needed it, but then when he turns his attention to Job, he speaks tough truths into Job's life with the intention of pulling his focus back to a God and away from the self-righteous anger that Job had. And the incredible thing about this is at the end of what Elihu was saying, the book of Job tells us that God literally shows up in the situation. Like we need to make sure we're listening to the right voices, not just the ones that sound the holiest. And I'm going to take it one step further. Like when we're suffering, we need to make sure we're listening to the right voices but when we see somebody in our lives that's suffering and in pain and we want to be there for them, we need to make sure and be the right voice. Like, can we just, like, today, like, agree to kind of put away, put to bed all the dumb Instagram, holy-sounding phrases that are really not helpful when somebody's going through something? Like, I remember this time in, in mine and my wife's life couple years, uh, about a year before we got here to Hope, and we, we went through some just 
uh, one of the darkest times in our lives. And we ended up um, losing, both of us losing our jobs on the same day because we took a stand for integrity in something. A, a leader who was over us made a terrible decision. Um, we had proof, we had evidence of it. Um, and he wanted us to cover it up and, and we, we refused to do that. And it was this just dark time in our lives and all of a sudden people came out of the woodworks and they were trying to encourage us it just didn't help. Like, when they would come to you and say, don't worry, Robert, God's got a plan. It's like, well, that's, that's true, but how does that help me right now? Like, I, I don't have a job, and I have no money, and I, like, what, what, it's true. Or, don't worry, God's never going to give you more than you can handle. It's like, cool, I want to punch you in the head right now. Like, that phrase doesn't even mean what you think it means. Like when it comes up in the Bible, it's about sin and temptation. It has nothing to do with pain and suffering and darkness and all of these things. Like, can we put them to bed because they're not helpful? You want to know one of the best things that you can do for somebody in that situation? It's the exact same thing that Job's friends started to do. In the beginning, they sat there with him silence. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is when somebody's walking through something is put your arm around them, let them know that you love them, pray for them, pray with them, ask if there's anything you can do and if they say no, just be with them. Just be with them. I think the story of Job would have been so much different if Job had just listen to the right voices, and if those friends in his life had chosen to be the right voices. I could spend, I mean, all of our time talking about this one thing we see. In fact, there's so much of it in the book of Job. I encourage you to read, read Job sometime. But this isn't where the wisdom stops in the book of Job. The next thing we see that we learn from Job is number two, you may never know the why. Job literally is in a spot where he's begging God for an audience. Asking God, why are you doing that? Demanding that God shows up and justifies himself to Job. And Job gets just that. Job chapter number 38, verse one. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. God comes in really hot here. (laughs) And I don't think Job expected it. Literally the first thing that God says to Job is, put on your cup, man, because this is about to get rough. This is literally what Job had been begging for, what he had been asking for, what he wanted from God. And God shows up, but he shows up to answer Job in a way that I don't think Job ever expected. God literally begins asking Job question after question after question after question. And he really is trying to get Job to understand his place in the universe. 
Like he literally starts on a cosmic level and talking about creation and creating the earth and placing the stars in the heaven and placing the continents on their foundation and placing the boundaries around the oceans and how far that they can go. He talks about the creation of birds and fish and animals and he talks about the mystery of how they hunt and where they go and where they hide and God is painting this incredible picture for Job And on the surface, it looks like he's completely ignoring Job's question on why. Why is this happening? It's God painting this picture that, man, he created this earth and it's good, but it's not perfect. It's beautiful, but it's dangerous. It's ordered and known, but it's still filled with mystery. That's good, Job, but you're part of my creation and I gave you the ability to make decisions and free will and that has profound implications. My decisions affect me, but also my decisions affect you and your decisions, they affect you, but they affect me. It's good, but it cannot be perfect. As much as you know, Job, there's so much more that's deeper. There's so much more that is unknown and mysterious to you. And man, that is, that is an incredible explanation and picture of, man, all of humanity. Like the more we find out, the more we find out that we don't know. I remember in school being taught, like, the atom is the smallest thing. And then we figure out how to split that thing open and we find out, oh, there's a lot of more stuff there that we didn't know about. God paints this incredible picture. And halfway through it, Job decides to speak up. Probably not the smartest thing to do, but he does. Job chapter number 40, this is Job's response to these questions. He says, I am nothing, and how could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already, and I have nothing more to say. This is Job literally going, I... I'm trying to put this together and I'm just now realizing, God, that these were probably rhetorical questions and you're trying to get me to see something very specific. God keeps on his discussion with Job and as Job listens, I feel like the light bulb kind of goes off for him. God's answer to Job is why is this happening to you? God's answer It's complex, it's mysterious, and you may never know, Job. God wants to make sure that Job knows and we know that Job losing everything in this story wasn't punishment for anything. that's, That's typically why, that's typically where we go when we're asking that why question. God, why are you causing this in my life and the story of Job is one that's that's showing hey it wasn't a punishment because Job did anything in fact the, the the real answer to why it all happened is so complex it's hard to even fathom while God did give permission for Satan to mess with Job's stuff in the beginning and Satan did that you realize he never gave permission for, for Satan to, to kill off his, his, uh, all the people that worked for him or his family members or anything like that. In fact, 
the way the story presents it, it's almost like it's a byproduct of what had happened. One domino fell, so another one fell, and another one fell. We might not ever fully know the why. And as Job realizes his place in the universe, as he realizes what God is trying to say to him, as he's realizing the answer to his why is you might not ever know, Job really, I think, begins to understand that even if he knew the why behind it, it's not like he could fix it. Just because we know the why doesn't mean we can fix it. In fact, the Bible even goes on here to talk about what happens at the end. And spoiler alert, we're going to jump ahead a few chapters, but spoiler alert, like Job's life turns around at the end of this. The Bible says that he once again becomes a blessed man at the very end, that his fortune is restored to him, that he ends up going on to have more children and lives a long, happy life. But the other half of that, the thing, the other piece of wisdom that we're to understand in all of that is Job getting everything back wasn't a reward either. But the thing that we walked through years ago I remember questioning the why so often. Like, God, if I did the right thing, then why? Why am I the one that's now without a job, who doesn't have money, who doesn't know what the next step is? Why, God? And I'll tell you this. It wasn't until years later, till I was very far down the road, till I could really see and understand the full nature, and I still probably don't know, the full nature of why things happened the way they did. Like for me, if, if that hadn't happened in the way it happened, I wouldn't have ended up here. And I know that this, this is right where God wants me. I'm right in the middle of the will for his, for his will for my life. But I couldn't see or know or fathom that back then. But in Job's response that we're about to see in just a minute, we see the third thing that we are supposed to learn. That's this. Learning to trust God in the midst of suffering and pain sets the stage for what comes next. You see, Job's response in this is incredible. Now remember, Job has had like 38 chapters where he's been yelling with his friends back and forth. God shows up. Kind of roughs him up a little bit. Job realizes his place in the universe. He's still in the midst of pain and loss. But this is Job's response. Job chapter number 42. He said, I'd only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. It's Job having this incredible realization about who God is in his life. And this is the moment where Job begins to trust God again. Like from here, Job literally says, I take it all back, God. All the things I said, all the blame, all the anger, all the frustration I had with you, God, I take it back. I was wrong. And to show you how wrong, I'm going to sit here in repentance before you. It's Job literally trusting God in the only way he knew how. And what's crazy about this story 
is that God's discussion with Job stops here. Like he doesn't tell Job what's going to come next. I just told you what's going to happen in the story. Job didn't know that. God actually leaves and goes and visits Job's three friends. But he leaves Job there in this state of just trusting him. Now when God appeared to Job's three friends, he does some pretty awesome things. Number one, God rebukes Job's friends, like he yells at them. He's like, y'all were wrong, y'all were evil, you, made, you twisted who I am and the truths about me into lies, and because of that, I should punish you. But God, but God goes on to tell Job's friends that, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take an offering, you're going to take some animals, you're going to go to Job, and you're going to sacrifice them in front of him to me. And Job is going to pray for you, and because he prays for you, I am not going to punish you. Because Job did right in my eyes. This is incredible for a lot of reasons. Like, not the least of which is God didn't tell Job to make sure he prayed for his friends. Like, Imagine arguing for days with these friends. All of a sudden, they come, and they're setting up this sacrifice to apologize to God. Like, if I'm Job, I'm going to be like, serves you right that he can't, went and yelled at you. Good luck. But no, Job gets up and goes and prays for him. And the Bible literally tells us that while he's praying for them, everything in Job's life changes. You see, when Job learned to trust God, God honored Job's struggle. Like, I'm, I'm not telling you that God snapped his fingers and instantly it didn't happen. Like, I know that's what each and every one of us really want when we go through pain, when we go through struggles, when we go through suffering in our lives. Like, we wish we had that magic pill that we could take and it makes it all go away. That didn't happen for Job. That doesn't happen for us. When we learn to trust God, he honors that struggle. For Job, it did look like a lot of his life got restored. A lot of his life got put back on track. It also looked like Job was able to make a difference in his friends' lives. But it's not like the suffering that Job went through with the loss of his children instantly went away. Yes, he had ten more kids He got to enjoy their life and he lived a long and happy life because of what he walked through. God also honored Job's honesty. It's incredible to me that through all of this, when when God appears to Job and he's talking to him and he's having all these questions for Job to answer, that at the end of it, Job, Job realizes how wrong he is It says that he's going to sit there in repentance and that God actually goes to Job's friends and tells them that they're wrong and they need to make a sacrifice. In the day that Job lived, if Job had wronged God, if he had sinned against God with his honesty, God would have demanded a sacrifice from him as well because that's through that sacrifice is where his forgiveness would have come. 
God didn't demand that of Job. And God wants us sometimes just to be raw and real and honest before him. Wants us to look him in the eye and say, God, this sucks and I hate it. This is terrible. What can I do? Lord, help me. I'm hurting. I'm alone. I'm broken. And if you, if you read the book of Psalms, it's filled with raw honesty before God. The book of Job, filled with it. God sees that, honors that. And finally, he honored Job's prayer. Job didn't get the answer that he was hoping for, but his prayer ultimately was God show up. God did that very thing. In the midst of Job's prayer for his friends, God showed up again, didn't punish his friends, but it literally says that's where Job's life turned. And for you in this place, I firmly believe that when you learn to trust God, when I learn to trust God, when we learn to trust God, that God is going to honor your struggle. The end may not look like you want it to look like. But God honors your struggle. It might end up him giving you the strength to get through whatever you're going through. It might look like him leading you to health, mentally, physically, whatever, wholeness, healing, it might look like you being able to use what you learned through the struggle to help others. That has been one of my favorite parts about what I have walked through. I hated it when I walked through it. I hated some of the things that were said about me and my wife, the, the, the pain that we went through during that time. But on the backside of it, I can't tell you the number of people that I've been able to put my arm around and say, I know what it feels like. I'm so sorry and I'm broken with you. Here's how I got through it. Can I help you? Not only that, God honors your honesty. Keep beating that drum over and over and over again. I'm just tired of, of us as Christians feeling like we've got to be fake before God and put on the happy Christian smiley plastic face and be like, Dear Jesus, this is awful, but you are good. My God so desires our honesty. Why? Because he's pretty smart and already knows what we're thinking anyway, which is also a scary thought sometimes. And finally, God's going to honor your prayers. And even in those days when it feels like he's not there, the Bible tells us over and over and over again that his ear is turned towards us, that he is listening to us, that his heart is there for us, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. And the answer that we get to these prayers might not be what we want, might not be what we expect. It might, we might not even fully understand it. It might feel like it's coming very slow, but God honors your prayers in that, and he is there with you through it all. This is the very end of our wisdom series. And this gets us to the end of the book of Job. 
And the basic conclusion of the book of Job is that the best thing that we can do, no matter what we're facing in life, whether good or bad, is learn to trust God. And that is what our wisdom books have been trying to teach us throughout this entire series, is that the best thing that we can do in life is learn to trust God. And so today, we're going to close by doing a little bit of reflecting. We've done this in the past, but I'm going I'm to give you 30 seconds to where I'm going to give you a chance to listen to God. Like another piece of us in, in our prayers is sometimes we spend a lot of time talking at God and not really listening to what he's saying. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that today because I believe that God will speak to you. And so today we have one question that we're going to ask of God and then you and I are going to sit here for 30 seconds and let him speak to us. And the question is simply this. I want you today to ask God to show you where you need to trust him in your life right now. Whether you're going through the best day you've ever had or your worst, where do you need to trust him right now? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes for 30 seconds? Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.